0: Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 5. Luke, chapter 5. And uh, I'm going to try to get this TV out there. Look at that. Just power through it. Alright, Luke, chapter 5. I'm just curious. I'm just curious about this. Um, how many of you... Uh, last week we talked about signing up for... Um, Text messages that'll take you to a devotional that'll come two or three times a week. How many of you signed up for that last week and have been getting those? Look at that, it's awesome. Alright, we have um, somewhere around 150 people signed up receiving those those messages. Now let me tell you a couple of things about that, okay? If you get those text messages and click on the link, it takes you to a website. If you say, I don't want to deal with text messages, you just want to go to a website, It's simple, it's 40, F-O-R-T-Y dot church, and all of them are there. Secondly, it's only going to come two to three days a week, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. We've received numerous people asking me where day four is. There is no day four, all right? We went from three to five, that's day five in 40, all right? We should have thought about that. We didn't. Alright. So that's just where that is. Okay. But I hope if you're using those, they're helpful to you. If not, and you would like somebody to show you how to do that, we can do that. If you couldn't, if you tried and you're not getting them, you can let us know and we'll help you. Or you could probably ask a a grandchild or a child and they would, they'll get it on there for you. Alright. And so we are over the next Forty days. We're already into the 40 days. The 40 days started last Tuesday, walking through the life of Jesus. 40 days from last Tuesday is Easter, and we are walking through his life over those days. And I'm really excited about what's happening. So last week we started with his baptism, but more than that, really we focused on the temptation of Jesus. If you remember, we talked about the fact that after... Um, after he had been uh, baptized, a high point, ministry inaugurated, that then he was led into the wilderness, which if you look at that word in the original language means the devastation, and he's in the devastation where he doesn't eat for 40 days alone with Satan. And as he's there, he's being tempted again and again and again. Particularly in three big temptations that we looked at last week, and we talked about how in the midst of those, he continually turned to God, used God's word, and focused on what God had called him to do. We ended last week with this idea that over the next 40 days, what I challenged you to do was four things. First of all, to feast on God's word, to fast from something in your life, to resist temptation when it comes, and to seek Jesus. Now here's the thing, I challenged you with that last week and my guess is, and it's a pretty good guess, an educated guess, that none of you were perfect this week. I'd ask you if you were perfect this week, but that would reveal your imperfection if you said you were, right? And here's the good news as we're going to kind of pivot today, being a sinner doesn't disqualify you from following Jesus. In fact, it is a prerequisite. Can I get an amen in the house of the Lord? I mean, it is required to be a sinner to follow Jesus because there are only two types of people in this world. Sinners and Jesus. And if you're not Jesus, and if you think you are, we can have some discussions about that. With some doctor friends, if you think you are, if you're not Jesus, you're a sinner. In fact, what's interesting, because today what we're going to talk about is uh, the calling of the first disciples, some of the most famous apostles, some of the most famous followers of Jesus. But it's interesting when you look at the first few followers of Jesus, when you look at the people who followed him intently in his life, they are from all over the place. And I don't mean geographically, I meant socioeconomically. I mean, diverse in their occupation, and their wealth levels. I'm not just talking about the twelve apostles, although we can focus on that somewhat today. I'm talking about the people in general who would follow him. Yet had small business owners, traitorous tax agents, fanatical patriots, men, women, blue-collar, white-collar educated, not so educated. Sometimes we even focus on the not so educated part and we miss that there were people that followed Jesus that were very educated. It talks about scribes coming to ask him questions and to follow him. It talks about Nicodemus who came and followed him. We know that he was buried in a borrowed tomb of a very educated, wealthy man. And so when we look at the first followers of Jesus, there's no real pattern, there's no real understanding of what happens, except all of them are people in need of a Savior. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about this calling of the first disciples. And what I want to do, I'm going to look at it from the book of Luke. Now, this story is told in two different places, really. The one we're going to look at, one is in the book of Luke, and the other is in the book of Matthew. And here's what I'll tell you about Matthew. Matthew doesn't give a lot of details about what's happening. He just talks about Jesus walking along. He sees a couple of brothers and says, come follow me, and they immediately follow him. And then it says, he sees some other brothers fishing, and he says... Come follow me. And it says they get out of the boat and leave their father and follow him. And it almost sounds like Jesus is just walking by one day and says, hey, boys, let's go. And they're like, OK. Right. And sometimes when we hear that, we want to say, no, wait, 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 what? Like, they didn't ask any questions. They didn't. They, they just got out of the boat and left. Like. It almost sounds, and hear me when I say this, I'm not saying the Bible is irresponsible. I'm saying it almost sounds like their response is irresponsible. Somebody don't know anything about, anywhere, there's just magnetism there. I mean, they look at their dad and say, Dad, I know you've been grooming me for the business, family business, my entire life. I know you plan on turning this over to my brother and I, and I know that your legacy is dependent on how we handle the business, but we'll see you. I'm gone after this guy. I have no idea who he is. That's because Matthew is speaking to a Jewish audience who would have already heard the stories that would have happened before. He's just recalling some of them, but he's also just giving us the cliff notes version of what's happening in that particular scene. Luke is a historian. He's a researcher. He wants to lay out more of what is actually going on. It's the difference between asking when someone in your family has a child, asking a male about the birth and a female about the child. Right? And so you ask a male, hey, I heard someone's had a baby. Yep. It's a boy. Anything else? It's a boy. Do you know what they named it? "Uh, A boy name. How big is it? It's the size of a baby boy, right? You ask a female. Oh, it was a 14 and a half hour delivery. I mean, it was a hard delivery. When she had the baby, it was amazing. It was a little a 7 pound, 4 ounce, 19 inch baby boy. And the cheeks were glowing red. And They named him William because William is a family name. And they're trying to... Uh, Right? It's the difference. Matthew is the male. Luke is the female in the baby-telling story. Right? Or even like other things. So I've, I've been coaching basketball for the last few weeks. We finished up our season yesterday. And last week, when we were in the semifinals of the tournament. We had the game in hand. And Luke, my son, who is not one of our top scorers, scored right at the end of the game. And if you ask... You could give it in two ways. One you could say is, Luke, how many points did you have today? How did you do? And he would say, I scored two. But if you ask him this week, as his teacher, his Sunday school teacher, any adult that would listen heard he scored with .7 seconds left on the clock when they threw an inbounds pass and he picked it up and threw it as the buzzer went. It bounced around the rim, settled in and went in and the whole place erupted even though it did not win the game it was just a last second basket. Right? It's how you tell the details. And so Matthew tells you Jesus is walking along says hey boys let's go and they get up and go. Luke gives you The background. In fact, in Luke, we hear about chapter 4, if you've got your Bibles open there, the temptation of Jesus that we read about last week. And then it talks about, and we'll, we'll get just in a minute to, to verse 38. I want to walk you there for a second. Then verse 14, it talks about the fact that he comes back from the wilderness. Now imagine this scene. Jesus is baptized. Lots of people are around. They've been following John the Baptist. ministry. John the Baptist says, this is the God. This is the one. This is the Messiah. They baptize Jesus. And then Jesus disappears from public view for 40 days. He doesn't capitalize on the moment. I saw an Olympic um, ice dancer. That's a phrase I didn't know I'd ever use in a sermon, just to be honest with you. An Olympic ice dancer who tweeted today, before I lose all of you, would you do this for me? Because his moment is up. The games are over, right? Right? Jesus, it looked like, had lost his moment. He comes out of the baptism, goes in the wilderness, in the devastation for 40 days. But it tells us in Luke that he comes back and the word spreads again. He's back. He's back. Goes to his hometown. His hometown rejects him. He starts to do some things, driving out unclean spirits. And then it tells us in verse 38, after he left the synagogue, he entered Simon's house. Now, who's Simon? Simon. This is pre Peter Simon. Simon's mother-in-law. Do you know by the way, do you know Peter was married? You can't have a mother-in-law unless you got a wife. Nobody would wish that upon anybody, right? I did not mean anything bad to the mother-in-law, I'm just saying you want the wife. You don't I, I've dug myself a hole there, all right. Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever And they asked Jesus about her So Jesus stood over her And rebuked the fever And it left her (laughs) This is my favorite part of this story This is why they're concerned And all you mothers know this out there Because she couldn't do anything for them Because it says the fever left What'd she do? Got up and started serving them so he goes into the house. This is my interpretation of this is Lyle's uh, speculative paraphrase. He goes into the house and they're like, Jesus, man, we would love to have some food for you. I know the house is a little bit of a mess, but here's the deal. Like my mother-in-law is sick. She can't do anything for us. And she's like, where is she? She's right over here. She's got a fever. Jesus goes, you're OK now. And She goes, OK, thanks. Now I can take care of you. All right. She gets up and starts serving. Now, remember that that's Simon. That's Peter. It says, when the sun was setting, all those who had anyone sick with various diseases brought them to him. See, Matthew leaves this kind of important little section out. He's just telling the big picture stuff, the get on with this stuff. Luke dives into the details. Jesus comes back from temptation. He heals Simon's mother-in-law. All these people come and are brought to him. And as he laid hands on each one of them, he Healed them. So here's the scene, all right? Before we get to the calling of the disciples, what I want you to understand this is not happening in a vacuum. The first time Simon hears Jesus is not when Jesus says, Follow me. Now, Matthew is not suggesting that even. he just telling the story. Luke gives us the details, but it fills in a little of what's going on there. See, one of the things about Christianity, Christianity is a faith that flows from information. It is a set of facts, of historical realities, of truth that are to be learned, and once we learn them, we put our faith and our trust in them. We are not asked to blindly put faith in something we know nothing about. And sometimes preachers, even ones named Lyle Larson, have preached that Matthew passage and suggested that you just got to trust, you just got to have faith. You do, but you have faith based on what you already know. And Simon had already met Jesus. Simon had already seen him heal his mother-in-law. And the idea here is, I don't know that he's left Simon's house when he starts to heal all these other people. If he has, they're waiting on him outside the door. So Simon is seeing all of this happen in front of him. Then we get to Luke chapter 5, verse 1. As you can imagine... As he's healing these people, the crowd begins to grow. Chapter 5, verse 1 says, As the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word. One of the things that you realize from the scriptures, one of the things you realize from the life of Jesus, is he never healed people just to show off, just to say, look what I can do, just to prove who he was. He always uses an opportunity to inform them about what was going on, what was happening, what God intended. And so as he's healing these people, they begin to come to him. They begin to press on him. He was hearing God's word. He was standing by Lake Gennesaret, which is Sea of Galilee. He saw two boats at the edge of the lake. The fishermen had left them. And there's this little detail. And Luke is giving us little details that make significant differences. Had left them and were washing their nets. So here's what's happening. So at sunset, while all these people are getting healed, the fishermen go out and fish. And so Simon Peter, who we'll see in a minute, is one of those fishermen that he owns one of these boats. And whether he was out there his own, which he probably was, or his men were out there or whatever, they had gone out fishing because you fish at night. When I was young, my grandfather used to take me fishing all the time. And I loved going fishing with my grandfather. I loved going fishing with my dad, except for one thing. You didn't go fishing at 11 o'clock in the morning. You went fishing at, before daybreak, you were on the water, if you weren't on the water as the sun was rising, you had missed your time. Because then and now, fish rise to the top more at night and sink more in the day as the sun heats so they're there, they come in from the night, all night fishing, they get up out of their stuff, they take their nets, they pull them off, they leave the boats where they are, because everybody knows whose boats they are. It's a small town, everybody knows everybody, everybody knows whose boat that is and whose boat that is, and nobody's going to mess with their boats, nobody's going to take anything with it. And they're over there washing their nets, cleaning their nets, drying their nets, getting their nets laid out so that they'll be ready to go again when it comes nighttime tonight. Jesus looks at the opportunity and he got into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon. He thought he could probably use Simon's boat because he had healed Simon's mother-in-law. He knew him and he asked to put out a little bit from the land and he sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. So get the picture here. Jesus is there. The crowds are pressing on him, pressing on him, pressing on him. He sees all of these crowds and he thinks, I've got to get to a place I can teach better without, you know, just a crowd of people around me. And so instead of looking for higher ground, because he didn't have higher ground, he went and got in the boat. And there are those, there are sound technicians and other people talking about how the water can, can serve as a, a microphone and an echoing factor. And they, they study all the, the ways that this was helpful. The way it was helpful for Jesus is he got out of the middle of the crowd, got away from him at a little distance, was in a boat and able to speak to all of them at once. Whose boat was it? Simon's. He sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. Then this happens. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon. Now, we don't know if Simon's on the edge listening. Like, or when Jesus put out in the boat, he said to Simon, Hey, can, you, can I get in your boat? Can you come with me and just go out a little bit? Whatever it is. He says to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Now we're going to stop there for a second. Because Simon's first reaction would have been no. Like, we've washed the nets, they're over there drying. We've done it all night. Jesus, I mean, you're a great teacher. I've seen you do miraculous things with healing. But you're a carpenter. And I'm a fisherman. We'll learn in a second. He didn't catch anything the night before. And he's going to say, I think in his mind, in that split second of decision of, I think I know if there are fish out there. I think I know, Jesus. Like, you're not going to catch anything. If you're just looking for supper, there's not going to be anything in there. And... I mean, we've washed the nets. We've got them dry. Like, I've, I'm done. You ever have one of those moments in your life when, like, you've had a particularly long day or a long night and you come home and you think, finally, I can relax. And you get home and there's some pressing matter waiting. Phone call comes. The dog has done something to the trash. The kid has done something to the trash. There's a leaky faucet. A hot water heater is gone. Like, something has happened. Have you ever been there? And you just want to go, not now, not today. Simon's like, we're done. We're done. And this is what I love about this moment. In this moment, Simon, who would become Peter has no idea what hangs in the balance. He could have said, Jesus, that's not not today. Not today. I mean, this isn't a huge thing Jesus is asking him to do. This is not a monumental moment. But Peter has no idea all that hangs in the balance here, right? I mean, this is a monumental moment in the ministry of Jesus and in the life of Peter. He has no idea what Hangs in the balance. I got a picture here. I want to show you. Anybody ever been here? This is St. Peter's Basilica. Anybody ever been there? A few of you are right over there. I see. It's one of my bucket list items. One of the places I want to go in life someday. There is no way in the world Peter sitting in that boat had any imagination that one day a building dedicated to him like that would be in the world. Right? I've never been there, but I've seen pictures of it. It Took over a hundred years to build. Can you imagine a building project at this church that took over a hundred years? You have 98 pastors in that time frame trying to like, how long is this going to take? Another hundred years cost unbelievable amounts of labor we got a picture from inside of it just magnificent now it's built over what they say is saint peter's tomb it's also built over what is to believe to be nero's circus where he slaughtered christians through christians to animals gladiators And you look inside of this, like, I wouldn't even begin to know how to build that today. Much less 500 years ago. As he's sitting in the boat. And Jesus says, hey, Peter, Simon, can you throw out your nets again? He has no idea what hangs in the balance. And here's what I want you to get. And before we get to the meat of what's happening here. Neither do we. Neither do we. We have no way to know what hangs in the balance on every decision we make in a day. We have no way to know who hangs in the balance on decisions we make every day. And what seemed like an insignificant, all right, Jesus... If that's what you want to do, we'll throw out. Changed the course of history. I love Peter's response to him. Master. This is one of the only places in the New Testament that phrase is used of him. This is not rabbi. This is not teacher. This is not Lord. This is a sign of respect. This is a sign of, well, I realize there's something special about you, but I'm not fully in yet. He just kind of says, Man, we've worked all night. And we call it nothing, nada, not a single thing. And then he says this, but if you, if you say so, you who I saw heal all those people. You who I've heard teaching on the seashore. You who I saw heal my mother-in-law. If you say so, based on what I know of who you are, I owe it to you. I don't even think this is a, if you say so, I trust and have faith that you're going to do the miraculous. This is, I owe you one, Jesus. You, you healed my mother-in-law. You took care of all of those people in our community. If you say so, I'll let down the nets. And so you know the story, right? Here's what happens. When they did this, they caught a great number of fish. Their nets began to tear. There are two things in here that tell us that it was a huge amount of fish. First of all, their nets began to tear. They signaled to their partners in the other boat. Hey, come help, come help. And they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Does anybody know who their partners are? A couple of other important people. Couple of brothers, sons of thunder. He calls them over and says, Come on, guys, listen. Come on, we got fish. Here's what we got. Here's what we got. And they put them in there, and not only are their nets breaking, now listen, this isn't like a cheap net you bought down at the local Walmart. This is a hand-crafted family heirloom net that would have been the source of their livelihood. It would have been mended and taken care of for generations. And if it was ever having to be replaced, it would have been meticulous in the replacement. This is not some cheap net you bought that's suddenly breaking. This is a life-altering tearing. And they get the fish in the boat. And what happens to the boats? They sink. Let's go back to that for just a second, Steve. They begin to sink. Now, what would you do at that moment? Man, we're rich. We ain't got a fish for a week. It's unbelievable. Hey, can we scale this? The pun there, right? Like can we scale the fish and can we Mass produced it, right? Can we take this somewhere? Can we take Jesus on a fishing tour, right? Some of y'all will get that at lunchtime. That's all right. Some of you would have been like, man, I can't believe how much work I've got to do now. All these fish i got to take care of. What did they do? They do the only thing that's appropriate to do at this moment. Next verse. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' feet and said, Get away from me. At that moment, the number and the quality and the price and the business of fishing was the farthest thing from Peter's mind. At that moment, he's thinking, I've seen him heal my mother-in-law. I've seen him heal these other people. I've heard his teaching. He was a master. He was this guy that was different than me. He was this guy that was better than me. He was this guy that was a little bit more than me. But at this moment, he realized this is not a normal human being. There is something different about him. And it's interesting that Peter's description of Jesus turns from master just a couple of verses earlier to where he says for me, get away from me, and then he tells him because I am a sinful man, Lord. He says, get away from me, because you are God. That's the phrase he uses. And here's the thing about Simon Peter, he is under the assumption that God does not connect, God does not hang around, God does not deal, God does not love, God does not put himself in situations with sinners. Jesus is showing him it's a new day. And not only do I put myself around sinners, it is a prerequisite to being in my presence to realize your need because you are. It's a new day. It's a new covenant. It's a new time. And Peter is saying, get away from me. And then Jesus' response is just so amazing. Look at the next verse. For he and all those who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish they had taken. Amazed means in all. It means completely Overwhelmed. And so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. Jesus says to them, don't be afraid. It's a new day. I know you're a sinner. He doesn't deny they're sinners, right? He doesn't say, oh, you're better than you think. Don't be afraid. Jesus says that a lot to people. Because when people realize who he is, they are. From now on. Oh, I love that phrase because he says to him, I've got a future. I got a plan. You're part of it. It's going to change. Your life is changing right now. He says, you're going to fish from, for people. Then they brought the boats to the land, left everything and followed him. Now, here's the thing. OK, Matthew's version of this. Jesus walks up there in the boats and he says, Follow me. They get out and they go. Luke says, All right, let me tell you the backstory. They knew who he was through healings, through teaching, and through the miraculous fish trick. By this time, mom and dad are like, Boys, go. Like, go. You can't pass this up. And four guys left that day and followed Jesus. And never had another regret. Now they didn't die with much of anything. But they never regretted that decision. Sometimes in our lives I think we come to the place where we say of course they did. I mean they saw Jesus make miraculous fish. They had just seen him heal all these people. And sometimes even we'll say something like God if (laughs) if you would do that for me I would have no problem just following you wherever. God, you know what? If you would show up and do a miracle in my life, then I would have no problem whatsoever. Like we look at Peter and we go, Peter, if that would have happened to me, I would have responded the exact same way you did. If God would have shown up, if he would have done a miraculous catch of fish, I would have said, God, I will follow you. Jesus, I will follow you wherever you want to go. And I think Peter would look at us in the midst of all of that and say, seriously, he did a fish trick for me. I mean, he he caught a few fish for me. Do you know what he did for you? Like you tell him, if you would just come and jump in the boat with me and catch some fish, man, then I would follow you. And Peter wants to go, what? In fact, we don't really have to wonder what Peter would say to us because Peter wrote a letter to us. He wrote a couple of letters to us. Now, he wrote it originally to other churches that collected them into what we have as the Bible. And you have it with you in the Bible that you have if you have a respectable Bible or not. In fact, if you have a Bible that does not have the two letters of Peter, you need to go get another Bible. I don't know what that would be. And in that, he tells us exactly what we're talking about here. He says, are you serious in needing something other than what's already happened? He did a fish trick for me. Do you know what he did for you? Let's read it. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. You can almost hear Peter saying, I was there. And I saw it. Yeah, I denied him. But I know what happened. He was insulted. He did not insult in return. When he suffered, (laughs) and man, he suffered. I think Peter would say to us, have you ever seen a crucifixion? You ever smelled a crucifixion? You ever heard the agonizing cries of those being crucified? When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Entrusted himself to the Lord. And then Peter says this, he himself bore our sins in his body on that tree so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. And then he says this last thing. By his wounds, you have been healed. Peter would say, would you come to me and say that if he would have done that for me, a fish trick, you'd follow him? Do you realize what he did for you? And at the end of that, I think Peter would give us two simple words of instruction about the only appropriate response when confronted with the reality of who Jesus is and what he wants from us. And those two words are simply, follow him. And my challenge to us, not just in these 40 days, but in these 40 days to jumpstart a lifetime is to follow Him. To live lives that are passionately devoted to Him. What does that look like? Well, first of all, it looks like what these apostles gave up. It looks like radical abandonment. And while we can talk about they had more reason to leave what they left, when you look at Luke's story compared to Matthew, the truth is you still think about all they left behind. The comfort of a life that had been established for them from their childhood to be fishermen, to do that, to make a good living on it, that was their comfort zone. Their careers had been set for them. They knew that they didn't have to worry about retirement. They didn't have to worry about what job they were going to get in that community they were fishermen and fishermen always had a job they left possessions by all we can tell these guys died with not much at all not that they would have been the wealthiest guys around the sea of Galilee but they would have had some funds they left their position in the community in the area they would become outcast fairly quickly they left their family. Matthew's point in making his short statements, he thought it enough to say they left their boats and their father. They left their friends, their neighborhood, their support group, their community. And they left the safety of all they knew to follow him. Can I ask you just a direct question? How much of that have you ever been required to, seriously thought about, or would give up to follow Jesus? Comfort, career, possessions, position, family, friends, safety. Because my guess in that list of seven things... There's at least three or four of them that you go, oh, I don't know about that. And they did it for one simple thing. To follow him. To depend on him. To trust only in him. And to obey him and his call to live a life on mission. And here's where Luke helps us. Why in the world were they willing to give up their family, their friends, their safety, their security, their careers, their possessions, their positions? And it's simply because he is worthy. He is worthy. And we're talking about the Savior, Messiah, fully human. Fully divine, sovereign over all creation, shepherd to the weak, king, righteous judge, the new Adam, the true Israel, the light of the world, the hope for all people, the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the bright and morning star, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, Jesus. Now that'd been an awesome place for an amen, but you missed it. He is absolutely, without a doubt, worthy. And that's what they're sitting in that boat and the fish come up and they realize this isn't a normal human being. Peter is like, I am not worthy Lord. And the other guys are amazed and astonished and Jesus says, follow me. And they're like, there is nothing in this world that compares with you. You are absolutely worthy to follow. And my concern, my worry for our generation, your generation, if you're older, my generation as we're growing older, and your generation if you're younger, my worry for our culture as a large is that we somehow think we've invented or found things that are more worthy to give our lives to than Jesus. And so we think the career, the path that we're on, or the family that we're developing, or the hobbies that we cultivate, we think the success of our kids Or the security of our retirement. Are more worthy than Jesus. And what those guys in the boat realized is. There is nothing on earth that is more worthy than him. And they did not get a of flowers congratulating them on their best life now. They went into a three-year period of trial and testing, and then after Jesus rose again from the grave, they are persecuted beyond belief, and yet they still said, I did it because He is worthy. And the question that your life has to answer is, is He worthy. Because if he is not in your life, you will fill it with other things. Now I want to tell you something. You deciding he's not worthy does not deny the fact that absolutely he is. But have you thought about your excuses for not taking the next step and following Jesus? And how ridiculous they seem in the light of the fact that he is worthy? Too busy. Too much going on. I'm afraid what I might lose. What would people think? I mean, what's your next step? For some of you in this room, the next step is salvation? You've never given your heart, your life to Jesus Christ. You've never accepted Him as your Savior. And today is the day for that. For some of you, you've done that, but your next step is baptism. You've never followed through with baptism. And Scripture teaches us that does not save you, but it is an identifying mark that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. For some of you, it's joining here. Or I'm not here, Somewhere. Finding a place with God's people where the word of God is proclaimed, where you are challenged spiritually, where you can find people that will move you towards what God intends for you and planting your life there, committing your life there and being part of that. For some of you, there's something in your life you need to confess. You need to repent of. And for some of you, it's just a step of obedience that you know you need to take and you've just been hesitant. Can I tell you this? You have no idea what hangs in the balance. Peter surely didn't. When he threw a net over the side of a boat. And you don't either. And so don't ever think, well, it's not an important decision. It's not an important resisting of temptation. It's not an important discussion. It's not an important sharing of the gospel. You never know what hangs in the balance. So the last year and a half, I've been taking allergy shots. Praise be to God. I do enjoy the benefits. I'm not real keen on the shot. Can I get an amen in the house with them? I mean, I'm diabetic. I've taken thousands of shots in my life. I still don't get excited about any of them. All right? When I got allergy tested a year and a half ago, the, the young lady that did my testing... It's one of those tests where they prick your back, you know, you know, I don't know, 7,200 times. I don't know how many it is. It's a lot. And then they wait for 30 minutes and read if you're allergic to it, which always seemed kind of crazy to me. Let's put the stuff you're probably allergic to on your back so we can see how bad it is. All right. It's like, let's give you a little bit of the cold to see how bad it really gets on you. And so you have to lay there flat, and she has to stay in the room for observation, and so you end up in a conversation. And that conversation, it always comes up. So what do you do? And when I tell people what I do, there are generally two or three different reactions. Oh, I go to so-and-so church. Do you know that pastor? All pastors don't know each other, but maybe, all right? Or their language changes slightly. Or they are fascinated by it. Like, what do you do? Like, I just work one day a week. It's all right. It's great. You know what I mean? They, the assumptions. So we got in a good conversation about church, about her family, all that was going on. Now, she's the one that tested. I have seen her not very much at all. Okay? So you don't ever know those kind of things what are going on. I went in Friday, this past Friday. I have to do it once a week. Apparently, other people are off. She's giving me my shots. And so i walk in and she goes, I don't know if she knows my name, other than it's on the screen. I walk in, she goes, okay, I got a question for you. What really happens when we die? I was like, well, she goes, like, I was talking to my mom. We're having a discussion about the Bible. I know you're a Baptist preacher. What happens when, like, what goes on when you die? And so, I'm, those alley shots take about two and a half minutes. And I realize I got two and a half minutes to explain a complicated uh, theological argument that has been argued for centuries. Let's go, right? So as she's sticking needles in my arm, we're having the discussion. Now, from our discussion, I I think she's a believer. But I think she's somebody that's looking for the next step. My thought process was, I didn't know if that 30-minute conversation we had a year and a half ago resonated with anyone. And yet, in her mind, she didn't forget it. And, you know, she sees... I mean, they run people in and out of there like a, I don't even know what, cattle. I don't know what to call it. I'm not a farmer. Whatever. They run them in and out of there. Lots of people at a time. And I thought, because I'd already been looking at this message, preparing this message, this idea. We don't know what hangs in the balance. That's a very, very small. You don't know what hangs in the balance every moment of your day that may come up years, decades from now, or may impact tomorrow. So in that moment, will you say yes to Jesus? Let's pray together.